Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. What I want to do today is not take all that long. I want to talk to you about uh, what speaking in tongues actually is. Because I was aware last week we were talking about the baptism in the Spirit. And I didn't really have time, we had to uh, sort of end a little bit uh, sooner than I'd have liked, to talk about what speaking in tongues actually is. And uh, because we have heard this over the years, and I'm sure you have, and maybe you've even thought it over the years, which is, well, I don't really see the point of it. (laughs) What's the point of it? And I hope by the end of today, that question will in some way have been uh, um, answered as to what is the point of it. And once again, no apologies, uh, especially for those of you who, who feel like you, you've you know, known about this before, you've studied this before, you'll always get something new. But there are people in the room who have never heard this before. And uh, so we want to, want to teach along these, along these lines. So last week we were talking about the baptism of the Spirit. And I want to ask uh, three questions today. Who can speak in tongues? What is speaking in tongues? And why should we speak in tongues? Those are three really good questions. The first one, really, we dealt with last week. Who can speak in tongues? Well, the people who can speak in tongues are those who have received uh, the Holy Spirit as he was at the beginning. There's a famous line where Peter, uh, in Acts 11, has to answer to the to the church police, uh, if you like, uh, how come this happened in this meeting? And he says, well, he says, they received the Spirit as we did at the beginning. And so we're talking about receiving the Spirit as at the beginning. And that's not to take away from any other experiences people have, wonderful though they may be, uh, really you know, some things have happened in this church. I don't like to even talk about them. People would think we were crazy. Well, people think we're crazy anyway. They would have their suspicions confirmed that we were crazy of strange things that have occurred over the 12 years I've been here now. But while these things are maybe wonderful, it is the, it's the biblical evidence that we're really looking for, which is speaking in tongues, which is the initial evidence of uh, having received the Holy Spirit. And um, just as a little thought for you, it could well be that simply you just need to hear this taught you for faith to arise in you. I want you to hear that again. You might just need this taught to you for faith to arise in you, for you to engage with it. So it could be that the, the Holy Spirit has powerfully come upon you in your life. But you just need someone to teach you that you just need to just press through a little further to the point where you're able to uh, engage with God in these other tongues. A friend of mine, uh, David Petz, again, I feel nervous calling him a friend because he's so important in Pentecostal history. But uh, someone once asked, did John Wesley speak in tongues? And to which the answer is no. Uh, but if he'd had just 10 minutes with David Petz, he would have done. Uh, 
because David Petz had this amazing ability to bring people into this experience, not by the laying on of hands, but by simply teaching them the word. And so I want to do the same sort of thing with you. The power is not going to be with the music playing and some hands going on you. The power is in the word, in you understanding the word and therefore faith arising in your heart. So, who can speak in tongues? Well, those who have received the baptism in the Spirit. So let's, let's move on from there because we took nearly an hour on that last, last week. What is it? What is speaking in tongues? What on earth is it? Good question. I'm glad you asked me that. And here's my answer. A Holy Spirit-given ability to speak and pray in an unknown language. I remember, I don't know what your experience was like, but I remember when I first came to church. In 1988, I was 18, 19, and I was taken to church. And we were, a friend and I and I, we were one to Jesus at a college evangelism uh, event. And then Sunday, they took us to church. That's a good idea, by the way. And he went off to the Baptist church. Uh, my my uh, friend, I mean, he was taken to a Baptist church, really good Baptist church. And close by, excuse me, where I lived was a Pentecostal church. And so they, the team took me there. And by the way, isn't it amazing? It's highly likely, had I lived near a Baptist church, that I would now be a Baptist pastor. Isn't that funny? But anyway, the, you know, life just goes like that. And so I was taken to the Pentecostal church. And I remember people, you know, I thought, what is going on in here? In fact, it reminded me yesterday when I was at the football match, it reminded me of the same experience. Looking around going, what are these people doing? You know, what are they cra- they're crazy, these, all, the, all these people. And, uh, and of course, it was the speaking in tongues that was the distinctive thing because that's not, I, wasn't expe- I was expecting kumbaya, all things bright and beautiful, and then being sent home. I and mean, that's what I was expecting in that place. Instead, I, I saw, experienced supernatural phenomena and then, and I'm aware, by the way, that we are all colored by our own experience. But by that I mean this. If you were put off by something in church, you naturally believe that your friend will also be put off by it. But in fact, it may not be the case. And some of the things that put, might have put people off in church were the kinds of things that kind of put me on rather than put me off church. So it's very interesting. Be careful of your, uh, your personal convictions, your personal reactions, thinking that everyone else will be like that. Well, maybe they won't be. Maybe they won't be like that. Um, a Holy Spirit-given ability to speak and pray in an unknown language. We say this, and now this may be perfectly obvious to everyone here, but for a long time in church history, because nobody spoke in tongues in churches, this verse, these verses were sort of rewritten, especially the ones in 1 Corinthians 12 that talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And the ability to speak in tongues was interpreted thus, a real good grasp of learning a foreign language. So like, I don't know if when you were at school, was there someone really good at French or in some cases English? or German, or something. And some people are just really good at learning languages. And for years, in, they taught that this was the gift of tongues, the ability, you know, to, to learn vocabulary in French. Well, 
Praise God if you've got a gift to learn vocabulary in Spanish or French. But that's not the gift of tongues, is it? The gift of tongues is a supernatural gift to be able to speak. Another question people ask all the time is, well, what is it? Is it a, a language? Is it a, uh, is it a heavenly language? Is it an angelic language? You know, are we speaking in the language of the angels or this sort of thing? I can only tell you today that people have different ideas about that. I can tell you what I think, but I'm aware that people have different ideas. Some people talk about it being like a, like a heavenly language. Uh, other people are a bit more like me, and they think that it's a, it's a, it's a human language. The reason why I don't like thinking of it as an angelic language, the language of the angels, is because it doesn't quite work in my head in as much as angels... Why do we think angels have different languages? Uh, for those of you who know your Bible, you'll know that languages were created by Babel. And so uh, the most logical thing to assume is that in heaven, uh, everyone has the same language because it, language was created as a sort of a curse on the earth. So uh, you, you follow what I mean? So it doesn't, it, well, why would we think angels would have different languages? And of course it comes from 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but have not love, I'm nothing. Uh, it's possible that Paul isn't trying to create a whole theology there of angel tongues, but just making a sort of a exaggerated reference. Even if I could do these impossible things, if I didn't have love, I, I wouldn't be worth anything. I wouldn't be worth hearing. Um, so some people think it's a heavenly language. Some people are like me. They think it's, a, it's an earthly language. Now that doesn't mean we have to go around recording one another. And, and uploading it to YouTube and saying, does, does anyone speak this? Because languages change over the years. And so the, the language I speak in other tongues, it may well be a language that existed a thousand years ago and doesn't exist now. It may well be a language that existed on some far offshore uh, that no one's ever visited and they are, they're certainly not downloading YouTube clips to be able to watch it and confirm with you. I only know that on many, many occasions... Uh, People have spoken in other tongues, other languages, and people who have been in the meeting have heard and understood their own tongue. And uh, it's happened here in this church historically. Many, many years ago, people began to speak in Chinese. That's a story that's been passed down the years. Uh, happened in this, you know, very, very um, room, I believe, um, where these things occurred. My friend David Petz once um, uh, was in a meeting and... Um, uh, uh, he was taking a group of students who were from all around the world to a church, and he was the speaker, and they came to carry his bag. I don't know what they came to do, cheer him on or something. And uh, during the meeting, someone got up and went, you know, whatever. And, uh, and then there was a silence, which, and when there's a silence, it means someone interpreted, you know. And so he, uh, David Petz had interpreted other tongues for years, but he, you know, it's, it's interpretation, it's not translation. So he, he didn't have, he doesn't, you, don't, you don't see a script in front of you, read this. That would be marvelous. There's no heavenly auto cue appear before you. Behold. Uh, he just had some thoughts in his head. He wondered if they might be the interpretation uh, of the tongue. And so no one else was saying anything. So he began and said, whatever he said, you know, the Lord wants to bless you or something like this. And, um, and then he carried on preaching and that was that. 
after the meeting, one of the students who was traveling with him on that evening came up to him, so excited. He said, wow, he said, you know that message in tongues? He said, that was my language. That's my home language. And Deripets was amazed. They all rejoiced. And then the penny dropped as a burning question began to arise. And the, uh, the interpretation, uh, <laughs> how was that? To which the student replied nonchalantly, <laughs> he said, it was accurate, of course. And all David Petz had was just a few thoughts in his head. Maybe this is God. But in fact, he had by the Spirit, uh, not so much translated, but interpreted something in a foreign language that he'd never heard. He told me one time he was in another meeting and uh, there was a group of gypsy uh, gypsy travelers or uh, is that the right term now? What are we allowed to call them? Anyway, travelers and they were um, uh, in a, they were in that area, it was Newark I believe and uh, in that in that meeting uh, someone came in who was from outside and he spoke in, now is it Romany? Anyway, the language of traveling people I think it's called Romany, something like that. And uh, uh, in the meeting was, was a dedicated Christian who was trying to give up smoking. And it's very hard to do, so with all sympathy to this person. But they were trying to give up smoking, and, um, uh, but they'd gone back to it, you know. And one night, oh, God, let's just have a fag. And they'd gone back to smoking, and they came to church, and they're feeling a bit down, oh, I've been smoking. And suddenly, uh, someone stood up in the meeting and spoke in the, in the, in the gypsy language and said, and said this, these exact words I'm led to believe, I've told you before, smoking's bad for you. <laughs> well, amazing, amazing. And you think that God's not saying anything if someone just goes, ah, shaka, 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 you know, I mean, you, you don't have to say too many words. For it to be God. So my belief is that um, when we pray and speak in other tongues, we're actually speaking in, where, where it is a genuine gift, we are speaking in, in another language. But if you, uh, if you would rather believe that it's a heavenly tongue or an angel language, that's okay as well. I'm just not sure that that's, that that's quite right. But I might be wrong. I might be wrong about that. The burning question is why would we want to do it? Why would we want to uh, speak in tongues? And I've thought of four reasons. Here's four reasons before we go home today that I hope will encourage you to, to do it. Number one, it is for prayer. 1 Corinthians 14, let's turn to it please, and verse 2. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 2. One of the great stories of the Pentecostal history is of uh, a missionary called Willie Burton who went to Zaire or the Congo. And um, I remember my jaw dropped when I read this, but he's very, was one of the early Pentecostal missionaries. And when he went to Zaire, he would pray for the, for the people 
And they would receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in English. And he would hear English as he prayed for them. English. You know, perfect. Hello. I am the Lord. You know, perfect English. One time he was... Um, he was, it, there's a story, it's in a book called Pentecostal Pioneers by Colin Whitaker. Very famous little book. You want to get hold of some of this stuff if you can. It's so encouraging. One time he was out on a prayer walk. And one of the people from the Congo, from Zaire, was praying in his tent. And he was praying in his language. And then he decided to pray in other tongues. And then when he began to pray in other tongues, Dear Lord and Father of mankind, he started speaking English. And, um, but he never learned it. And uh, there's a wonderful story in Whitaker's book that, that Burton is, is going on a prayer walk and he's listening to English coming out of the tents. And uh, he goes near to here and one guy is uh, praying or talking to God, but he's actually reciting the history of the Bible. First Abraham did this, then Isaac was born, and it's all in perfect English. The poor guy in the tent, he ain't got a clue what he's saying. Not a clue. But the guy's doing the history of Israel. So Burton gets excited, rushes to get his mate, his colleague, who also speaks English. I don't know if he was a Brit or American, but they they went back to here. And by the time they got back to the tent, now the guy, he's carrying on praying, but now he's in the New Testament now. And he's talking about how the Messiah came and laid down his life. I tell you, speaking in tongues is amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. Anyway, why did I say that? Oh, just to encourage you, yes. For personal prayer. Now, for personal prayer, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. No one understands him, except where it be interpreted, of course, or where it is a phenomena like in Acts 2 where you're supposed to understand it, you know. Um, Acts, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, and then verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Um, sometimes I hear people talking about speaking in tongues, and that is a perfectly valid you know, str- string of words. However, it might be better sometimes to, to more emphasize, we pray in tongues. Yes, we speak in tongues, yes, but we more often, we pray in tongues, or we are worshipping God in other tongues. And what you see here, is that when somebody speaks or prays in tongues, their spirit prays. It's not the mind that prays. It's the spirit that prays. And what we are led to assume, although it's not really explicit, but I think it's a fair assumption, that when we pray in tongues, we are praying the will of God into being. You know what it's like when you pray, oh God, please, I need to pass my driving test today. Let the driving instructor be mad and half blind and whatever happens, <laughs> let, let, you know, let me pass, whatever. 
And it, it might be not the will of God for you to be driving down the A14 right now. Have you thought of that? It's not the will of God for me, for you, to be driving down the A14 like a maniac. So, so sometimes we don't get what we want, right? Yeah, you know, that's just a simple thing. Uh, how many people, Lord, please let her marry me, please, or him, you know. Please, Lord, I want him to marry me. Yes, Lord, he's the one. You know, last year it was someone else. But Lord, this year, <laughs> he's the one. You know, be assured, Mr. Right is not necessarily Mr. Right now. Can you say amen? Yeah, not many women said amen. But anyway, um, so sometimes we, we don't know what we ought to pray about, do we? We pray the wrong things. You know, we really do sometimes pray the wrong things. And so God, uh, I've heard people teach that, you know, you shouldn't pray the wrong thing. God will give it to you. I'm not sure my father gives me something that he doesn't want to give me, even if I ask him, you know. So, um, uh I find all that a bit strange, but necessarily, of course, as we pray in tongues, we are praying in the will of God. I, I, I know I've said this many times, but it always amuses me, if it, even if it doesn't amuse you. But it amuses me that, you know, you could be pacing the floor. Lord, I want Tom to marry me. Let him sit next to me in church this week. Lord, if he sits next to me in church, I'll know that it's a sign <laughs> that he's going to marry me. You know, uh, Lord, if Tom just looks at me. Uh, if Tom's even, if Tom just even wakes up today, I'll know that's a sign that he's going to marry me. And Lord, I want Tom to marry me. Uh, anyone here called Tom? If you are, you just received a word. I want Tom to, to, to marry me. <coughs> and then, and then habitually you might start praying in other tongues. And what you don't know is if you could interpret it, the interpretation is this. No, cancel that prayer. Tom's an idiot. He must never darken my door. And then you go back to praying in English. Oh, Lord, please let Tom be the one. So it's good to pray in tongues because you pray according to the will of God. Your spirit prays. You see, your spirit is praying. I've got to come back to this in a minute. But God has given us a supernatural way to pray. To pray his will. We need to just get that. God has given us a supernatural way to pray his will into being. Well, I don't know about you, but I want that. And I want that more than just for 30, 31 seconds on a Sunday. Hello? (laughs) I want that every day. You might not want it. You might want to pass your driving test and marry Tom, but I want the will of God. So, um, so it's important for us to be able to do it. And that's why sometimes we say, well, I don't think God wants me to speak in tongues. Well, God wa- of course God wants you to have this ability to be able to do this. Well, why would God want me to have a supernatural ability to pray his will, but not you? I mean, that just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So, the first thing is, it is for personal prayer. It is not just you saying some, some gibberish words. It is for prayer. And uh, you, you to be encouraged to pray with your mind and to pray with your spirit. When you pray with your spirit, your mind is unfruitful. You're not supposed to be engaging with your mind. It's supposed to be just with your spirit. 
It's a way for your spirit to do the talking. And it's amazing. It's an amazing thing to happen. And God wants you to be able to do that. Number two, for worship. Now, this is not too dissimilar. But let's just pick this up. 1 Corinthians 14. It's the next verse. Verse 15. So let's pick it up in verse 14 again. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. But my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit. But I will also pray with my mind. Let's just stop a moment. Even if you have the ability to speak in tongues, it doesn't mean you should do it all the time. There is a place, a definite place, for us to pray with our mind. You know, we bring a prayer request, certain, such a person is ill. Yes, we, should, we can pray in other tongues, but we should also pray with our mind. Uh, because part of prayer is asking the Father for the things that we need. So he says, I'm going to pray with my spirit. I'm going to pray with my mind. I'm going to do both things, right? I'm going to do both things. But then he says, I will sing with my spirit. And then I will, I will also sing with my mind. So now he's shifted the context from prayer to worship. Well, how do you sing with your spirit? Well, there's only one way. Be a buddy, a tito, go manti, that's what he's talking about. You can sing with your mind as well. My life is in you, Lord. That's singing with your mind. Singing with your spirit. But both things. And then he goes on to talk about praising God with your spirit. Look at that in verse 16. If you're praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen. We'll, we'll come back to how we should do it in a minute. So it is a way to worship the Lord. And it is a way to magnify God. I love it. Acts chapter 10. And uh, between verse 44 and verse 48 is the example of Cornelius' household being touched. And I believe it's in that portion of scripture it says, they heard them speaking in tongues and magnifying God. If you were to ask me, if we were really able to interpret all the tongues ever spoken, you know, most times, if we had a little machine, a little app, hey, an app, let's invent an app. So every time you spoke in tongues, you could press it and say, okay, what did I just say? Now, just, just hear me, I'm speculating, but I think I'm speculating biblically. I think that most times it would be praising God. Okay, I think most times... It would be praising God. I think sometimes that's why when you hear people speak in tongues, it sounds very similar. Because they are saying the same things maybe again and again. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. You know, so I think most times it's, it is a way of praising God. When we, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. They all began to speak in the languages the people understood. But what did the people hear them say? Do you remember? It says, we hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So what they heard them saying on those steps of Jerusalem that day were the wonderful works of God, which so beautifully ties into Acts 10. They spoke in tongues and magnified God, or they praised God. 
So speaking in tongues is a way of worshipping God. Now it has to be done by faith because you don't understand what you're doing. You don't understand what you're saying. Sometimes you don't even feel anything. Am I telling the truth? You don't really even feel anything. But by faith you do it because, because it's in the word. So we pray a way for our, our spirit to talk to God. A way to worship God. Ephesians 5.19 is where Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. Can you say amen? Yeah, don't be drunk with wine now. Uh, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So this, this connection between the Holy Spirit and worship is extraordinary. I, I don't know whether to tell you this story, but I went through a period now... This, Oh, should I tell you or not? Okay. You remember, you asked me. I went through a period where uh, many, many years ago, late 1990s, something like that, 1998, I went through and I had a real uh, infilling of the Holy Spirit, I tell you. It was an infilling. Woo! It was a good infilling. And what I found was, what I wanted to do all the time was just praise God. So everywhere I'm going, I just want to praise God. And, and I want to do it with a tune. And so everywhere I'm going, hallelujah. And every, like, for like, I don't mean I couldn't speak. All right, so don't think I got on the phone. Hello, is that BT? Hello? No, I, it wasn't quite like that. But, but I found myself having to stop myself from singing. I was wanting to sing all the time. I learned then, anecdotally, experientially, that when we're filled with the Spirit, we just want to speak in psalms and hymns. Spiritual songs that we want to sing and make music or make melody in our hearts to the Lord. What is a Pentecostal people? A people who make melody. They might not make the X factor, but they make melody. I know many uh, uh, people who, who, who would not last all that long on Britain's Got Talent in terms of their singing voice, but God thinks it's marvelous. Because it is praise, genuine praise to God. Number three. Number one is prayer. Number two is worship. Number three, for empowerment and strength. Now, not many people know this, but have a look at verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 14. Where a little truth, a little truth sort of slips out. In his dialogue. He's talking about that in a church service, prophecy is better than speaking in tongues. In as much as, he's not saying that you shouldn't speak in tongues. He's saying that prophecy is better. Which is not quite the same as don't speak in tongues. But prophecy is to be preferred because prophecy builds up other people. Whereas speaking in tongues only builds up you. But of course, in laying that idea down, he has let slip that speaking in tongues builds up you. Uh, verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And then verse 5, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. So again, it's that tension, not that speaking in tongues is wrong. I've heard people talk about, well, speaking in tongues is the lesser of the gifts. Give me a break. The lesser of the gifts. 
What kind of gift that God could give wouldn't be good? So if you're talking about, I tell you this, if you meet someone on the street and they need healing, then the best gift that they, the best gift you can give them is a gift to work a miracle or a, or a healing. It's not a prophecy. But someone else, the best gift they could receive would be to receive some prophetic guidance. The best gift of the Spirit is the one you need at the time. So he says to them that in a church setting, prophecy is always to be preferred because it's going to build people up. More people. But that doesn't mean that if we have a gift that builds up ourselves, that we shouldn't use it. He says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. It's a Greek word, oikodomio, which is exactly the same word you would use in Greek for building a house. That's why I think some of the later translations say they uh, speaks in tongues, he will build himself up because they've drawn from this idea that it is a construction word for a building. The Greek word for house is oikos, oikodomio, the building of a house. If you speak in tongues, you're going to build yourself up. That means that God wants you to have that ability. Because it can't be that God wants me to build myself up, but not you. And speaking in tongues has this ability to build you up. Uh, A funny story is, uh, whenever I get anxious or afraid, Jane always says to me, just speak in tongues. I said, well, I will, but I'd rather the problem went away. I know, but just speak in tongues. I remember one time we were on the, we were on the A14 or someplace, and Jane was driving, and she put her foot down, and she thought, right, well, here we go. We're now going to overtake this lorry and defy gravity, death, and the grave. <laughs> and as we're going for it, I reach up and I hold on to the whatever you call that thing you hold on to. And there's blood coming out my finger with terror. And she's speeding up to overtake it, you know. And I, I said to her, this lorry driver could be mad. He, he, he may not have seen us. And her foot's down. And she just said to me, oh, just speak in tongues with you. <laughs> I said, okay, but just put your foot on the brake, will you? <laughs> but actually, it's true. It takes anxiety away. A real funny story was a few years ago, I had a friend here, a Sri Lankan friend, and he said to me, look, uh, Sunday night there's a great meeting in London. And uh, we used to go to meetings in London on Sunday nights until we realized that getting back down the road there at quarter past one in the morning ain't a great idea. But he took me down, we were going to some meeting, and we, we were walking by, by Big Ben, or by the House of Parliament. And... I don't know if I should tell you this, but it's too late, isn't it? I have a phobia of... Oh, dear. The fourth point... No, no. I, I have a phobia. Actually, I had it a little bit yesterday at the football match. I have a phobia of tall uh, buildings. Now, please, don't, uh, don't all join C3 after this. But I have a phobia of, of tall buildings, i.e. if I'm stood next to a tall building, I can't look up at it. I feel a bit woozy. Anyone else have this? Absolutely nobody. Good. Okay. Hey, I see that hand. Where you? Okay, good, good. Yeah, okay. Slowly but surely, it'll be everyone. So, So I have this phobia that if I'm stood next to 
For example, Big Ben. Big Ben's big, isn't it? That's why the, you know, there's a clue in the name. So it's big. And if I look it up at it, I think, oh, I feel a bit funny. And uh, I'm a bit better now, but I used to think it was actually going to fall down on me. Now, I know, I know, you, you know, if you want to have a whip round and send me to some shrink, I'll go. But I, I so I had this, um, we were in London and my friend says, the church we're going to is along here. And as we're walking along, I see it's full of these tall buildings, Big Ben and the House of Westminster, is it, the tower? Anyway, whatever it's called, there's a big tower next to Big Ben as well. And I'm thinking, oh no, how am I going to do it? I'm just not going to be again. And how am I going to tell him that I can't go this way? Why not? Because there's a big building there. Yeah, how am I going to, how am I going to tell him that? It's not going to go down well, is it? And uh, so I think, well, I, I've got to somehow survive this. So we're walking along, and I remember this verse. He who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. So I start speaking. And I'm doing it in the street, loudly. And he's walking alongside me, and he thinks, wow, you know, Pete's getting ready for the meeting. <laughs> so he starts doing the same. And we're both walking along like a couple of madmen. And then as soon as we pass the building, I stop. And he looks at me, and I look at him like, you know, praise God, brother, I got the breakthrough. I'm all right now. Now, that's a strange, stupid thing. But I tell you, now let's just be serious a minute. There's a few more scary things in life than a tall building. Aren't there? Stress. Stress. And depression. And I read yesterday uh, that someone's predicting, is it the World Health Organization, that by 2020... The second biggest killer in the world is going to be depression. By 2020, the, biggest, the second biggest killer in the world, responsible for death. It's a horrifying thought. Made me a bit depressed just reading it. It did. So there is such a thing as tall building phobia or, or the being at the football match and seeing you know, the big lights. But actually... That's just silly because there are plenty of other things that are much more serious. And I want to encourage you, a man, a woman, who speaks in a tongue, builds himself up. And you can be built up. I tell you, you might not be scared of a tall building, but you might be worried about going to see that family member for Christmas. Or you might be worried about that job interview. Or you, you, know, you might be worried about that confrontation you have to have with someone at work. And uh, I, f- f- by the way, the golden rule, speak in tongues before you go, not at the time. But you can ch- it's like you can charge yourself up like a battery. Charge yourself up. Really. You really can. You say, well, how long do I have to do it for? Well, how long do you want to do it for? How much power do you want? <laughs> how much power do you want? I recommend, like my iPod, that it goes on charge as much as possible so I never run out. And I recommend that you get on charge as much as possible so you don't run out. Uh, I know it's a simple illustration, but you get the idea. Jude 20 says, 
that we should pray in the Holy Spirit, building ourselves up in our most holy faith. And finally, uh, for, for public ministry, of course, let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27 and 29. And then I'll clear something up here that uh, you also might have heard about. There are those who, um, inspired by the Spirit, moved by the Spirit, will bring into a public gathering a, a loud or a very obviously public utterance in other tongues. I love the word utterance because probably you only hear the word utterance in church, nowhere else. Do you think you hear that in the House of Commons? Hey, David Cameron, great utterance today. I don't think so. You think the Queen finishes her Christmas message? Your Majesty is the most marvellous of utterances. No, but in church we talk about utterances. It's an old word. But what we normally mean is something inspired by the Holy Spirit. And whether that is prophecy or whether that is tongues in a different kind of way, what we're talking about with speaking in tongues, we're talking about you doing it in private. We're talking about you doing it in contexts where other people are also doing it. But there is, a, there is another dimension, isn't there, where someone will halt the worship meeting, if you like, with a, with a blast or a loud utterance in other tongues. And it's one of the gifts of the Spirit to be able to interpret that. We've commented on that earlier. But uh, it doesn't mean we translate it. We never translate. We interpret. It's the equivalent of you looking at a picture and saying, what does this mean? That's very different to translating something word for word. It's a completely different idea. And um, 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul's talking about, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, each one of you is a part of it, and in the church God is appointed, then he lists them, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, those having gifts of healing, those able to help others. What a wonderful gift that is. Do you see that? Those able to help others. I'm going to say it again. Those able to help others. Well, you may not be a miracle worker, but boy, oh boy, you're able to help others. It's a Valid and godly and marvelous ministry. Gifts of administration. It's all here in his list. And those speaking in different kinds of tongues. And then he says this. And I want, Please just give me your attention just a few minutes more. Because I want to help you with this. Because sometimes people misread this. They say, look, are all apostles? And the obvious answer is no. And in fact, I won't do this for the sake of time. But in the Greek construction... There is a way in Greek to say, to ask a question to which the answer must be no. So, something like, rather than are all apostles, you would put something like, not all our apostles are they? Which is, the obvious answer is no. You, you can't say yes. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And what people have done is they look at this verse that says, do all speak in tongues? The answer is obviously no. To say, well then, God hasn't got that gift for me. But please note the context in which he's talking here is public ministry, not your private edification. So this is a public administration 
of speaking in tongues along with all these other gifts. It's not your private prayer language or your prayer or your, your prayer and worship or your building yourself up ability. Do you understand what I mean by that? So you see people say, the Bible says not everyone speaks in tongues and they are correct. If in the context here they mean to give big utterances in church, not everyone is supposed to do that. And not everyone is supposed to be a prophet either. But all may prophesy. And so uh, there are lesser and greater degrees of this, of experiencing this, this gift. And then chapter 14 and verse 26. What shall, then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, now that's not worshipping in tongues, but some sort of public, loud utterance in tongues, um, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. And if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Once again, let me just come in like a laser beam on that verse. When it says that if there's no interpreter, there should be quiet. Quiet is, a, is a, a term that can be used in different ways. He doesn't say they should not speak. He says they should speak to themselves and to God. In other words, don't be too loud. But it's not the same as don't speak at all. You follow that? So if there's no interpreter, uh, don't speak it. Don't, don't give a big utterance. If there's no interpreter... But not don't speak at all, but speak to himself. Meaning, you know, in his own little space. You know, here I am. You know, it's not a loud, uh, big utterance to be interpreted. Should speak to themselves and to God. So some people have that ministry. And I want to encourage many of you that God might use you in that ministry. That you might be inspired. And of course, it should be you must not function without the unction. Can you say amen? Don't function without the unction. Don't say, well, I'd like to give a word. Here I come. You know. But at times, you might feel moved upon by the Spirit in services like these. Or when we meet together to, to pray, which are even more open and free even than Sunday mornings. That God might move you to speak in other tongues in a way that you understand is different, in a way that is for interpretation. And uh, I just encourage you to go for it. Now, there's a little rule about it, but we'll come to that now. My final three little things, let's just bring them all up so you know what they are. Number one, be careful with speaking in tongues, not to do it in front of people who don't understand. And if we had time, we'd look through this chapter, and you see a number of times... Where he says, look, if you just, if everyone comes and you're speaking in tongues, they just think you're mad. I thought the football crowd were mad. And they were speaking something. Not all of it was wholesome. So he says, now look, just be careful with those who don't understand what it is. Let, let me just give you a, an example of that. When I pray for the sick, I almost never speak in other tongues praying for the sick. Almost never. Why would I want to do that? Uh, in as much as I, I don't know who they are, 
that people might not know what speaking in tongues is. It might be quite a frightening experience for them. To, it's, 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 it's big enough to come to the front of a church. That's a big enough thing to do without someone coming up and speaking in Hebrew over them or some such thing. And so we want to be careful. I remember when I got my baptism in the Spirit, I went to see my nana, who was a Christian from a Reformed tradition. I said, Nana, I've got the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues now. She said, well, why don't you do a bit for me? And I thought, oh, no, no, well, I shouldn't because it, sort of, it shouldn't be done quite like that. So it is precious. And um, it's not appropriate to, for someone to speak in tongues in Costa, is it? Right? It might be appropriate in here, but there's certain places it's just not appropriate to do. And uh, certain settings where you just... You just shouldn't do it. I meet with a group of ministers regularly. I had a day with them this week. They're not Pentecostal ministers. I wouldn't speak in other tongues or praise God in tongues around them, you know, because they, they, they might be offended by it. They might not know what it meant, you know. So, so it's something we have to be a little bit careful about. Number two here, if you're going to give a public utterance, be sure there's an interpreter. We, we, we did see that. And if you are going to give a public utterance, here is my little cautionary word I promised for you. Uh, and no one interprets it. Guess who's got to interpret it? You. Now normally, you'll know if there's an interpreter present because you would have experienced seeing them do it before. That's how you know. You're not supposed to look around the room and go, Lord, who's going to give the interpretation? That man over there who I've never seen before. No, you're supposed to know who the interpreters are and, uh, or have an idea that someone is experienced in doing that. It would not be appropriate for me to attend a church this morning that I'd never been to and give some big message in tongues in the middle of their worship if I didn't know if that's what they did there or whether anyone was experienced to interpret it there, that, that kind of thing. So we have to be a little bit careful. And remember, if we have not love, we're just a big noise. Let's finish with this thought. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Read at every wedding and funeral in Westminster Abbey for years. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Peter Cavana version. If I speak in tongues but I have no love, I'm just a big ugly noise. I don't think we're supposed to think that a big gong and clanging cymbal is a pleasant noise. I think we're supposed to think that it's an unpleasant noise. And so in all of our discussions over these last few weeks about the gifts of the Spirit and the need to receive the Spirit. We are not suggesting for one moment that speaking in tongues is some sort of superior thing to be able to do. That it's some sort of merit badge for advanced Christians. It so isn't. I wonder if you know of any tongue speakers who've split churches. I do. I wonder if you know of any tongue speakers who 
ran off with the church secretary. I do. Come on. Come on. So we're not suggesting... I've seen people who speak in tongues but behave as though they were filled with demons rather than God sometimes. So we're not suggesting at all that it is a merit award for advanced Christians, like some sort of diploma. It's not, because it's free. A free gift for those who can push through their doubt and unbelief and disengage their brain, as I said last week, and find the, the touch of God come to them. So, while we've taken this time to talk about these spiritual things, it's because they are important, but it is not because they are the most important. We understand, don't we, that if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, then we also have to have the character of the Spirit too. So let me encourage you. We're going to finish. I want to do two things. I want to encourage uh, people here who in the past had some sort of experience with God that involved maybe speaking in tongues and I want you to be reignited at this season. And there are others who have never been ignited in this way. And I I want to encourage you that at any point, at any point in any service, well maybe not at any point in any service, but at any point in the worship compartment of any service, you can raise your hands and say, Lord, fill me. Many people, if we had their testimonies, they lined up here, they would tell us, in fact, that they received the baptism of the Spirit when they were on their own. There was not a group of deacons around them, one shouting, hold on, the other shouting, let go. They were just on their own. And I want to encourage you to be reignited. And if you had some experience, but you thought, I won't bother with this, what's the point of it? Well, you're wrong, because it's a way to supernaturally talk to God in the way that sometimes an utterance in tongues is a supernatural way for God to talk to us, as it was on the day of Pentecost that it's a way for you to be strengthened. It's a way for you to worship God. And for one or two people here, it's a ministry that God wants to call you into. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.